many of you know this, um, and, and I know this was happening in general throughout the body of Christ, there were numbers showing up. And the number that was predominant was predominant in this house, predominant in my life. It happened to me three times where I woke up 333. Three, three. Yeah, I mean, the first time you don't know it. The second time you're like, hmm. Third time you're like, okay. And, and you know, long story short, we're going to see things about three today and how that relates to where the Lord is bringing us, where the Spirit is guiding us, right? He's leading you. He's not dragging you. If you need to be dragged, it's not going to happen. He will lead you. But Jeremiah 33, 3 is the resonating scripture that comes with that number sequence. And it says, call unto me, cry unto me. In other words, there's a, there's a, there's a loud call. And I, I love this. And God says, and I will show you things you know not of. Folks, if the last two years have not been the fulfillment of Jeremiah 33, 3, I don't know what is and what we will continue to see today. And every day we have together going forward is going to be the fulfillment of the Father saying, I'm continuing to show you things. I implore you to have an open mind. And no one said amen. 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 Thank you. Having an open mind, and this is family, this is a, this is a, a safe place, is to lay out or, or maybe even lay aside things that you thought were things you would never sort of lay aside. And this is not about proving everything wrong so that we can have everything new. And this is not about, this is about the revealing of Christ. And anything that is an obstacle must be removed, right? I have, I have allowed that to happen within my uh, my life, and I know you are too, and that's not a comfortable place necessarily to be. Interesting point, or interesting thing that happened also this week. I, I get, we're coming up on, on Easter, right? And so churches are sending mass mailings out, and we get a lot of these. You get the, anybody who get the cards inviting you? You're not going to get one from us, so. <laughs> we don't have a show. We don't have a play. We don't have anything here to, to really offer you. And here's the irony of that. Um, I saw James. Is James, the James was just here. I thought he stepped out. Everybody's stepping out when I'm calling him out. James had an amazing experience with the Lord years ago, and he, he had a nightclub, a very famous nightclub in St. Pete, and uh, it closed down and whatnot, and we have all the equipment of the nightclub. Ray, you know this, in that closet and in that closet. If anybody can put a light show on <laughs> with probably smoke and all that stuff, we have everything in here. And the irony is it's gonna stay in there because we're not about to entertain you, right? This is not, you know this is a heart, and I know this gets uncomfortable because people want, so, so here, here's my point on these cars. It was the common theme in everything I read, I, and I read these, and there's nothing wrong with sending them out, but I, I read these, and. It's all about making the Bible relevant to your life. Yeah. And I'm reading these things and I'm like, we're all about making the Bible irrelevant to your life. Yeah. <laughs> because unless you know you've died, you're just going to try to improve what you have by taking sound bites out of this and trying to make what you have right now better rather than allowing it to die, that God would resurrect what is due. That's right. This is not something that people are drawn to in the sense that they want to have release, relief of the pain in their life. But what is the answer is often missed because we're just looking for the relief. 
and not what the gospel is really all about. So I say that to commend you and your courage and your faith to pursue the things of God. And without much more said about that, we're going to go deeper today. All right. There's going to be a lot of information. We actually have a homework assignment. Yeah. So I want, I want us to do something together throughout the week. It's going to be really good and really interesting, and you'll see it at the end. Um, so last week, let, let's, go to, let's just start in Colossians chapter 3. We've been in this portion of Scripture for some time. A couple of weeks ago, we spent most of the service on Colossians 3. And I'd like to start there. Last week, how many of you can tell me what we spoke about? <laughs> tree of life. What else? Having a single eye. And we, and we contrasted, we contrasted the carnal mind with what? The spirit or the mind of Christ, right? And this is so, so important. No matter what you read in, in the New Testament, it seems like it always moves towards something to do with the mind. Right, cast down thoughts, it's to do with the mind. Be renewed in the mind, as clearly as the mind. You have the mind of Christ. Uh, yeah, think on these things. Uh, we're going to read, read that just in a moment. There's so much emphasis on the mind. And, and this is why it's important to know that this is not about improving your mind. But replacing it with another mind. Right? So we're not about patching anything or refurbishing anything. We're not putting band-aids on, on, on this. And um, in Colossians chapter 3, it said, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Last, I think it was two weeks ago when we were on here, the word those things do not exist in the original text. So I want to read it as, as it was written in the Greek. If then you were raised with Christ, seek above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind above, not on earth. Right, so I, I just took the things, the word things out because it doesn't exist in the original text. That was added by the translators to presumably add more clarity, but it doesn't. It just confuses the matter if you would. So he's saying, could we, could we begin? So here's what, we, what I want to do today. I want, I want to focus, if we had the, the carnal mind, remember that was over here? And we had the mind of the spirit, the mind of Christ here. I want to focus on here. What, before we do that, what was really the takeaway on, on the carnal mind? Let, let, me, let me give it to you. The takeaway was that the carnal mind learns by experience. And the knowledge accumulated by... Somebody, somebody, ah, somebody find Genesis chapter 30, real quick. 30? Chapter 30, um, verse 27. I don't want to spend too much time here, but I want you to see something that when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with those two men, he opened up the scriptures, right? Folks, the scriptures are going to be opened up to you like never before. If you think you've read the Bible, forget it. This is not about reading the Bible in a year or, or even saying that you read the Bible so that you can assume some, uh, you know, credentials. You need to go back and see Christ in everything. I'm telling you, he is all over the place, right? The entirety of the volume is about him. 
Genesis 30, verse 27. What does it say? Laban said to him, Please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience. Period. Stop. So who is Laban? Laban is, if I get this right, Laban is Rebecca's, no, Rachel's father, right? Rebecca's brother. Rachel's father, right? And, and Jacob wants to marry Rachel, right? Now, you need to look in the spirit. And again, I'm going to come back to this in, in one time. The female always represents what? The soul. Barbie, that's right on. And the male, this has nothing to do with you being a, a man or a woman. This is, this, this is seeing in the spirit, right? It was Eve, the Bible says, that was deceived, not Adam. And the soul being deceived contaminated humanity. So you see that the father of the soul, right? right. Ra- you see um, Laban, the father of Rachel, who's going to be betrothed to Jacob, who is Israel eventually. The father of the soul, how does he learn? Come on now. Are you seeing the issue here? Yeah. He learns by experience. This is the carnal mind. Laban only knows what he knows by experience. You only knew what you, you knew what you knew or know what you know by your experience, and therefore you live out your future based on that information. The mind of Christ does not rely, nor does it even want your experience to define its path. Let me let me come to the end, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to move towards it towards a. a more of a teaching. The mind of Christ simply knows. The mind of Christ doesn't learn by experience. Truth comes to it by simply knowing. It's called revelation. You are called to live by that paradigm. We are living in a sub-paradigm called experience And there's a reason why we stay at a level of existence in which sickness and weakness and death are predominant. There is a way out. It's good news. There is a way out. So we're going to talk about the mind of Christ this morning. And we're going to come at it from... Maybe four angles, and I want you to take notes if you, had, if you can, uh, or, or we'll have this obviously recorded, but this is going to be information that's going to be, needs to be digested over and over again, because this is the path and the pathway that the Spirit has given us. So in Colossians, it says this, if you were raised with Christ, how many of you have been raised with Christ? Come on. Everyone here, their hands are up. Because it says in Ephesians that we are seated with him. Where? In heavenly places. Don't consider heaven a place or a location, but a realm. You'll see this also in a moment. You are seated in a realm. If he is there, you are there. The problem is your mind isn't. So though you are by grace seated in heavenly places, you are still contaminated in the realm of your thinking. So be renewed or be transformed. Be transformed by what? Renewing of 
the mind. Are you seeing the connection here? It's clear. So let's put up above here and beneath. This is the mind of Christ. If you are seated with him, then think above. Are you seeing this? If you are seated with him, which you are, that's rhetorical because he says you're seated with him in Ephesians. And that is salvation, by the way. Go read Ephesians 2. That is your salvation, that you are seated with him. So now Paul is imploring the, the church at Colossae. He says, though you are seated with him, you're not thinking in alignment with your position. So he's encouraging them, think above, not the earth, not below. So let's, let's kind of, you know what, let me do this. I'm going to need some room between the above and below. So I know... You in the back may not see this as well, but we'll try to make this more legible. This I'm going to call the earth. Remember, we're speaking of the spirit right now. Don't look at this in a natural way. Go to John chapter 8. Let's just cover this, establish with some scriptures so that you, you have a foundation where we're going. John chapter 8. Verse 21, Jesus is, is speaking with the Pharisees and, and he's going back and forth as he typically did. And Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. And clearly he's talking about the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. Because he says almost the same thing to his disciples, Right? And so he says to the Jews, he will kill. So the Jews said, he will kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And, and that, so, so what's, what's the issue here? They don't understand him. Why? Because he's speaking the spirit and they're listening in the natural carnal mind. What they're listening is through experience. So when somebody says you can't come, by experience, their experience, they're interpreting that Jesus is saying that he's going to kill himself or commit suicide. Do you see the conflict here? So Jesus clarifies the conflict and he says, you are from where? Come on now. You are from, and where am I? Come on, somebody else read that for me. I am. He is a man, folks. He's not talking from the position that I am God the Spirit. Jesus the man is saying, I am a man above. You are men below. Are you seeing this? Clear demarcation. This is why they did not understand him. The difference between beneath and above is a mind paradigm. Is a mindset. And so what he was saying here, they were interpreting here and not understanding. Is that, is that okay? I mean, it just says, let me, let me read it. He says, I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. He's not saying he's not in the earth. He's not in the natural realm. He's just saying this world is a paradigm, a way of thinking. The world is in prison in the beneath. Okay? 
And I love what he says. Well, I don't love it, but I, I, I think it's, in, it's very insightful and revealing. He says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. What do you think? What are you thinking when you hear that or read that? They're not dying. What was that, David? It's not faith. Yeah. Let's go back two or three years. When you heard they're going to die in their sins, what thoughts came up? Come on, be honest with me. Somebody throw out something. They're going to hell. They're, they're doing a lot of bad things. And they're, and they're, and they're smoking. And they're drinking. And they're cussing. They're, that's the sin, right? Because that's how we define sin was this list. Let me show you something that the word sin, there's several words that are translated sin. Uh, get into all the Greek. There's actually three that I know of off the top of my head. But the point being is that this, the word sin means literally to miss the mark. Has nothing to do with an individual act of defiance. Now bear with me. The other definition that goes along with missing the mark that is defined as sin in the English language is to be offended or to reserve an offense. Now I want you to see this. Why is Jesus bringing this topic into a conversation when he is saying, I am above and you're beneath? Why is he introducing sin? And he says, if you stay here... You die in your offense. Yes. Yes. You die continually missing. Are you seeing this? What keeps us beneath? Why do you have an offense? An offense happens in your life when something you value is being attacked. Whether it's your reputation, whether it's, your, it's a value system, whether it's somebody you love. Come on now. Can somebody agree that yeah. offense happens when what, what they expect to unfold or what they expect to happen doesn't happen. In fact, on the contrary, something else happens. You get offended. The reason you're offended is that you're protecting something. And when that something is attacked, there's pain. What keeps you in the lower realm is pain. Bear with me. What keeps you from moving to the higher realm is the fact that you are still protecting something that is causing you pain. So when Jesus says this, that I have, uh, I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 24. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins. I want you to understand it in this context. He's saying, because you are not above and you remain beneath, you are dying in your pain. But it is said of him that he is the lamb of God who takes away the The pain of the world. No, you need to see this in the spirit. Jesus isn't coming and making you not smoke. No, no, I I say that facetiously because I want you to see how ridiculous we used to think. What he's saying is I've removed the pain of your offense. And by removing the pain, I've made a way to the above. Hallelujah. 
He has removed the sin of the world by one man. Come on. Sin entered in. What? Pain. What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? They were, they felt shame. They felt guilt. They felt condemned. That's pain. Pain keeps you mortal. Listen, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and to give it to you in abundance. Remember that? The word life there, Chris, is Zoe. It is not bios. It is not this life. It's another form, another paradigm of living. The word abundance doesn't mean that you get a lot of stuff with it. It means superior. What he says, I've come to give you a superior realm of living, but you have chosen to remain in an an inferior realm of living because of pain. You are afraid of something. And here is what we have done in the church. We have reinforced the pain with a misunderstanding because we have a carnal interpretation of Scripture that we put people into deeper regions of prisons. Thinking we're telling them the truth and bringing them good news, we're just burying them deeper into the realm of the earth. But he has set you free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. There is no more excuse of pain. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm not saying you won't have episodes where, listen, we experience it. We, we experience stuff even this, this week that was painful. And it tries to come and, and, and remind you that you are still here. <laughs> and you're not. How do you get from here to here? Well, <laughs> the renewing of your mind. So let's look at this. I want to look at it from different, from four different angles. Is that okay? (laughs) Five would be good, right? Excuse me, I have a little bit of a cough. So without even even having to go to scriptures, the first thing I want to bring up has to do with the transfiguration. Now, Now, folks, I want you... I want you to put your spirit ears on. You know, Jesus often said, you have eyes, but you are not seeing. You have ears, flappy things, but they don't seem to be working. And he's not talking about natural hearing and natural seeing. He's talking about seeing in the spirit. Right? So the Mount of Transfiguration, what happens? Somebody tell me what happens. Barbie, tell me what happens. Right, who is, the, who is the they? Peter, James, and John. I'm going to draw something here. And Denise, is here, Denise, I'm using colors. Denise gets me these colored chalks. And these are the steps to an ascended place. All right, we're going to see this come up over and over again. You'll be blessed today. Who are the three? I'm going to put Peter here. 
Actually, I need to make room for that. James and John. David is in the beneath. That's a joke. Because you'll find that at the end, David, that David is actually the ascended one. Clearly not you. <laughs> you will be redeemed. So it says this, that he led. Look at the words, Matthew 17. He led them, Yanni. Peter, faith. Come on, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Yanni's getting ahead of me. If you don't know this woman, you need to know this woman. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he leads all three of them up. Why these three is important. And at the top of the ascended place, the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, the man, is glorified. And to his left and to his right are whom? Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the law, though he is not the law. Moses was a man of faith, but that's just the sidebar. He represents, because through him came the law, right? And Elijah represents all the prophets. So the prophets and the law spoke of whom? The son. And the father breaks through and it says through a bright cloud or a cloud from which light emanated that had no other source but the cloud. If you want to study something, study that cloud. It is the origination of light of Genesis. But that light shows up and says what? Hear him. This is my beloved son. And what he effectively is saying is, don't listen no longer to the shadow. Here's the substance. They spoke of him, so why are you relying on the shadow when the substance has now arrived? He is an ascended man glorified on a high place. So why Peter? Why James? Why John? This is where Yanni ruined it for me. In a good way. These are writers in which we have their writings. Peter has written. First Peter, second Peter. James has written. James. John has written. First, second, third John. Revelation. <clears throat> the theme of James is faith. Faith without works is nothing. His theme is faith. That is, if you pull out of, J- of, of James's writing, that's what you'll see. Anyone who has a double mind ought not to expect to remember all of that stuff. James had an insight on faith. Peter had an insight on hope. Just read First and Second Peter. First Peter opens up. In verse 3, I think it is. And he represents or he introduces the phrase living hope. And then you have John. And John is love. 
We're missing somebody there. Who else writes? What does Paul write in 1 Corinthians 13, 13? Now remaineth. But the greatest or the highest. Come on, somebody's eyes are going to be open. The highest is what? Love. And what was given to John, the disciple of love, but the revelation of Christ himself. The greatest act of love in your life operating right now is the revealing of Christ. Revelation is a love book. But you won't see it unless you see it through the eyes of the Spirit. You will see death and blood and wars and beasts and weird things. You won't see the love of God. But Paul says, this is the progression. All these things remain. They remain. But as you go from faith, you start to understand hope. Why? Because faith is the substance, come on, of, come on now, of things hoped for. Of things not seen. Why? Because we're talking about the above. Right? And then you go from faith and you have hope, which is confidence. Yes. As for me and my house is a confident saying. And then you move into the realm of love. I'm not talking about earthly love. I'm talking about a dimension that yet that we have yet to be bathed in. And when we are, we have ascended to the above. Yes. This love, it is said in 1 Corinthians 13, holds no record. Bears with everything. Come on. And we read these things and, and really do we experience it down here? We read it down here, but we never experience it because it cannot be experienced here. You must ascend, I must ascend to the higher realm. Keep that in your mind. Three remaineth. I have to use King James on that one because it just sounds so much better. (laughs) Faith, hope, and love. But the greater of these, the highest, is love. Where we're going, and you... I'm speaking to you because I know, not out of experience, that you are in this path yes. at some point. Yes, yes, yes. And you start here. You must start with believing. Yes. You have to remove that evil heart of unbelief. Those who have remained, look to your neighbors. Or as crazy as you are. (laughs) Have remained because something inside of them has been triggered. Not their experience. Not Laban. Not that what is being taught or said makes even any sense in the realm of logic. It doesn't. But there's something in it. That's called the knowing. He said, know that I am God. He didn't say go and, and read the scriptures and understand from other people's experience that I'm God. He says that you would know that I am God. 
that it is revealed to you. Are we good with that? So we see this on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus led faith, hope, and love to the Mount. Inside of you, the Spirit is opening up the realm of faith. He's opening up the realm of hope. And he's opening up the realm of love. So, let's look at this in a different light. We good? All right, go to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. It's in your Bible. I'm telling you, the, get rid of the idea that there's an Old Testament. You didn't, you didn't hear me. Get that division out of your mind. These are breathed upon words. And when you hear Old Testament back in some recess of your thinking, there's a little voice that says, but that's all irrelevant now. That Christ has come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. No, I got. <laughs> and then no, I, I. Oh, I'm supposed to suck. <laughs> you see, I went on my experience, fam. Not revelation. <laughs> People on the audio are like, what in the world is going on right now? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Apparently, I wasn't supposed to chew that. There's way too much flavor. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Where was I? Where? Hosea. Hosea. Okay. I want to look at this. I want to look at this ascension. Here's what we're doing. Because what you need to be asking yourself is how does this work? How, uh, maybe not the best way to phrase it. How do I get there, right, Pete? It's great to teach this stuff. It's knowledge. But how do I ascend? When Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, what does he say? You cannot enter, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are what? No. That word again, I don't know why it's there. It doesn't mean again. It means above. Right? Take your Bibles, cross out the word again, go look in the Greek. If you don't believe me, that's fine. And you'll find it says, unless you are born where? Here, you won't see this in you, which is heaven, the kingdom that he said is nigh, even in your midst. You'll still see it as a location that's out there that I enter when I die. And the revelation of heaven. Listen, we're all trying to get to heaven. And God's trying to get us, get, it, get heaven into us. Yes. Or trying to show us that heaven is in us. Are we good with this? Right? So he says, unless you are born from above, you will never ascend. But you, by the virtue of even in your inquisition or your searching out the kingdom, you are born from above, folks. I am born from above. Now, I'm not, my mind isn't where it needs to be. But I know it, Julie, and we're getting there. And the Spirit is responding with truth. This is the love of God working in our life. He is drawing. How does he do it? Barbie, he's leading. 
He's not dragging. If you don't want to go, he keeps you at the bottom. Where was Israel when God wanted to meet him on the mountain? They stayed here. Who ascended? Moses. And who ascended partway? Joshua. And he was close enough to hear. Moses saw the glory of God, which is the goodness of God. These people simply said, go up there and tell us what God says and we will do it. That is the carnal mind of the law. So here's how this is interpreted in in our current society. Just tell me what I need to be good. Tell me what I need to stop doing that's bad and tell me what I need to start doing that's good. That is a modern translation of law. And churches are built on the premise of making this Bible relevant to you so that you know the difference between good and evil. And I'm telling you, that tree is dead. The only tree to eat from is the tree of life. And that is above. Are you seeing this? So we market a message that Paul says, if it's another gospel, it's accursed. That's how severe he saw this. Because he saw the same thing. He saw the Judaizers coming into the churches that he established, that he had the foundation, and they were going back to the tree of the knowledge. They were going back to the law. And and in Galatians he says, Who has bewitched you? That you would go back to the things that you you were delivered from. My goodness, I want you to be so in tune with what the Spirit is doing that you know there's nothing to go back to. It is a good day in your life when all that is severed and the only place to go is forward. That he cuts everything out from which experience was speaking to you. So Hosea, ah, He says this in verse 1, come and let us return to the Lord. I want you to be mindful that we're seeing Christ now. Are we good with this? Right? A hint, when you see the word Lord, is a good chance we're starting to see Christ. In fact, it's always a case where you're starting to see Christ. He says, for he has torn, but he will heal us. Another translation says, but he was torn. So that he would heal us. And that he was stricken or has stricken. That he would bind us up. What do you think he's talking about? The prophet is seeing something. Are you seeing this? He's seeing the suffering of the Messiah. The crucifixion. Right? you got to realize these were men that would see and they put in words what they saw. But they didn't have any other reference. So they just, it, it often waxes poetic. That some man was stricken, some man was torn. Hebrews said his flesh was torn, which was the veil. The veil was separate, that was separating the soul and the spirit is no longer there. Remember, the holy place and the holy of holies are not two rooms. It is one room divided. It was always that. This is, this is Genesis 2, the day 2 and all that. You guys remember all that. I don't want to go back there. There's too much here. Let me just go on. He says, come let us return to the Lord for he has torn and he will heal us. He, has, he was stricken, but he will bind us up. 
after two days, he will revive us. But on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. After two days, no, the third day, he will raise you up. What is the prophet saying? He's saying the resurrection, but he's relating it to you. This is day one. This is day two. This is day three. This is your progression to ascension. This is what's happening. Now, not when you die. Now, Renee, right now, in your body, in your mind, in your spirit, in your soul, everything that is you has now the attention of God. And the spirit of truth is teaching. And he is teaching and leading you to an ascended place. He says, listen, the stuff that was stricken and torn was torn and stricken to bind and to heal. So that you could, could understand that he's bringing you to a higher place. So he says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. That's another way of saying, let's seek the kingdom. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain. Do you make it rain? Will you make this happen? These things freely given to you. I want you to hear this. He says he will come to us like the rain, like the ladder and the former rain to the... Are you seeing this? The latter rain will invade your life in the earth so that that which is in you would ascend to the clouds. Anytime Jesus shows up, or the, he's always represented by clouds. Why? Because you have the earth beneath and you have heaven above. And heaven often is represented by that. Now, I want, I want us to go to Deuteronomy 16. Just, just bear with me this morning. We're going to go through quite a few scriptures, but you, you'll be blessed by all of this. Deuteronomy 16. I want you to see this in the relation to the feasts of God. Say amen. amen. Say oh my. Oh my. All right. Deuteronomy 16. He said, on the third day, I will raise you up. On the third day is when you get raised. How many feasts of the Lord are there? Seven. There's seven feasts, but I want you to see this. Verse 16, uh, let me see, chapter 16, um, let's just go right to verse 16. He says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord. What is he talking about? The Spirit. Come on now. Seeing the Spirit. Do you ascend in your soul or do you ascend in your spirit? Your spirit. Your soul, let me, your soul needs to be saved. 
The end of your faith is what? The salvation of your soul. But it's your spirit that is being led. Are you seeing this? I want you to see this. He says, verse 16, seven days you shall keep, no, I'm sorry, uh, 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, and the feast of tabernacles, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. What in the world is he saying here? Of the seven feasts, three of them required a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? The city set on a hill. Jerusalem by design was ascended. When the Jews are coming out of the wilderness, I want, I, so, so here, let me draw it this way. When, when, when the Jews are coming out, they are, um, they are crossing the Jordan, right? Here's the Jordan River. That's a river. I don't know why that's a river, but use your imagination. And here's the desert, right? And they got to cross the Jordan. And the Jordan is connected to the modern day, what's called what? The Dead Sea. Right? The Dead Sea geographically, topographically, go do a WikiLeaks search. It is the lowest surface spot on the planet. Are we good with this? You can't get any lower on the continental. I mean, you go to Mariana Stench, but on the continents, it is the lowest part of the planet. And when you come out of the Jordan, you ascend to Jerusalem. It is a city. I've been there. I actually went from Jericho, which is right here. This is Jericho. And you literally go up to a city. And what he is saying is three times a year, all the males are to make this journey to the ascended place. And what are the three feasts? The feasts of unleavened bread, which is Passover. The Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost. And the Feast of what? Come on. Somebody ought to be seeing what's happening here. What he is saying is, as part of your ascension, three times a year, you will experience this ascension. The other four feasts just stay at home. Sukkoth and just stay at home. Because it has nothing to do with the ascension. But unless you understand the Passover and that death was destroyed, you have nothing to put your faith in. Your faith is that death has been abolished. That one man tasted it for all men, not all Christians. Why? Because he removed the pain. The sin that was in the world was an offense. Are you saying this? This 
You, you have to start not going to the cross, not coming to the altar, not wailing because you're a horrible person that did horrible things. What we do is we just, we just layer sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. When we just reveal, listen, he removed the pain. What you are experiencing right now is, is an illusion. Wow. You know, people who have limbs amputated, they, have, they call it phantom pain. You can have a leg amputated, but your mind still tells you that you have a toe. And that for some reason you just stub the toe that doesn't exist. And, your, and the pain you feel is exactly the pain you would have felt if you had a leg and a toe stubbed. But it's not there. You're not hearing me. He removed sin. He didn't remove it when you asked him. You're not that powerful. He said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. By one man all have sinned, but by one man all shall be made alive. This is good news. Unless you believe in the Passover, the beginning of beginnings, where your past is cut off. Where the month becomes the first month of the first year of your life. It all starts at the unleavened bread. It's the beginning of your ascension. Man, I'm spitting a lot, Chris. I asked Chris, I said, why are you sitting in the back? Because you spit too much. <laughs> David gets to comb whatever hair he has with all that. No, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> then are you done David can we, can we continue okay thank you <laughs> we do love this man it may not look like it <laughs> no it doesn't so you start I want you to see this he said three times remember first two he's bringing us alive but on the third day he's raising us this is Hosea then you get to Pentecost and once you believe that death has been destroyed and all their lifetime under the bondage of that sorrow, they were delivered. Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 3. Study it out. Right? You get to this one. This is where the Spirit begins to show you things that death was marring, was contaminated. Once death is destroyed, now truth has an entrance. Who is the Spirit spoken of? Or what is he called by Jesus? He says, I, it's better for you that I leave. That the spirit of truth comes and he will teach you. That is Pentecost. Pentecost isn't a one-time event where you learn how to speak in a weird language. It is the place where now you are the student of God. And he teaches you. Jesus said, all shall be taught of the Father. And he opens up truth to you. Not dogma, not doctrine, not who said this and who said that. He said, he said to Timothy, you have an unction and no one needs to teach you for you have the spirit in you. Come on. This is Pentecost. This is part of our ascension. And then once you get through Pentecost, you get to Tabernacles. And we haven't even touched on this one. But this is the greatest expression of joy that we know in the scriptures. When this feast happened, they would hear the partying in Jerusalem and surrounding cities. And James, they didn't have an amplification system. They didn't 
didn't have electronics. They didn't have fancy light shows and plays and all that. What they experienced was pure joy, which was their ascension to the above. Tabernacles is in front of us, folks. We are going to and are moving towards an expression of the pure nature of the love of God who is God. Here's how messed up we've made it. Let me not, let me not, well, let me just show you, let me say this in a positive way. There's an outlet right there. What, what comes out of that outlet? Does ice cream come out of that outlet? Does shaving cream come out of that outlet? What comes out of that outlet? Why does power come out of that? Because power is in it. If love, if God is love, what can come out of him? What can't come out of him? Anything that is not love. We have ice cream coming out of God. I know this sounds weird, but we say all the, and then we qualify it, but he's a judge. And he demands justice. What crap are you talking about? Your mind is so perverted, so contaminated by death. That you're making shaving cream come out of the mighty of the the, the ancient of days. Come on. He is pure love. And only, and only, and only love can come. And John saw that. And John wrote the revelation of the Christ. Which is your hope. Are you seeing this connected? Yes. Ah. Ah, I don't know. I mean, like, it's getting animal now. Come on, Greg. This is good. The very essence of God is love. It's Him. He doesn't have it. It's Him. It's power. That's why joy, I believe, was reserved until the Spirit can teach us. Because we will screw up tabernacles like we've screwed everything else up. And he won't let that happen. Oh, there's a joy. Inexpressible. Without words, Chris. So he has to give us the words of Pentecost in another language to express this. It's best that you read Revelation with your tongues than with your mind. I need to go through two more. Do I have time? Go to Song of Solomon's. Yeah, I don't think I have ever referenced the Songs of Solomon. It's right after Ecclesiastes. Right before Isaiah. Go to chapter 2. I need to show you this real quick. Then I want to give you your homework assignment. And we will have a quiz. No, we won't. John, Steve, could you just ask him to get me another one? Thank you. Listen to this. Song of Solomons. Here, here, let me make a comment on, on this beneath for a moment. I'm gonna, I want to tell you what it's, what this is not here. And, and I'm, I just was reminded of something. something. And this is where it's real time. So just, just bear with my mind trying to catch up. We've covered where we're trying to improve. Well, religion tries to improve you. 
because we don't understand that sin originally is an offense. So if we think sin is behavior, the easiest thing to do is change the behavior. Right? This is Romans 7. Please read Romans 7. Paul, I can't do justice to what Paul does in Romans 7. He winds up, he says, oh, I'm a wretched man because I thought that way. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want, you know, he goes, I am messed up. But then he starts in Romans 8. I've learned something. I'm not condemned. I realized this wasn't about behavior, but was about a governing law. And I was under the offense and death. Now I'm in life in Christ Jesus. That opens up a whole litany of scriptures that talk about living by the spirit, not by the carnal mind. Are we seeing this mind of Christ beginning to form, right? And so what we have happening, and I see this within church circles, and it concerns me because the closest deception to truth is close to truth. The easiest thing to find out that is false is something that clearly is. Remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Good sits right next to evil, which is not life. And so there's this, this, this messaging that is happening within the church about finding your dreams. Just bear with me. Let the Spirit show you that. About realizing your potential. And here, I've been trained in some of this. In fact, I was trained in a lot of this in my early life. I was sent to places around the world and a lot of money invested towards this end. Because they saw the value of employees having this mindset. That somehow you have a dream. And that God is responsible for fulfilling your dream. And that causes you to have self Awareness and self-satisfaction to the point where now I feel like I'm accomplishing something. And here's the truth. You wind up accomplishing stuff. Because that is Babel and you have built something out of your dream rather than dying and adopting his dream. His dream is that you come here, not dream down here. Are you hearing me? Listen, and again, I don't want to, this is not where I want to go necessarily, but I want you to see that when Abraham had a covenant, God had to put him to sleep. Right? Why? Because he would have thought it was his idea. You'll see this happen. When, When Paul has an encounter, he has to blind him. When Jesus dies, he has to bury him. Unless you experience the place in this journey where you're taken out. And it's only him and him alone. Then all you're doing is improving what you have. And the worst results you can have is success. Because it will deceive you that somehow God was in it. I know this is a hard word. But it's truth. Trust me. That I have died with him. I have been crucified. It is not I who live. It is no longer my dreams. It is no longer my aspirations. And I honor aspirations. I, I, God honors courage. Go after. But go after this. Seek only first the kingdom. Take all the energy that you are wrapping up in your dream and apply it here. He says you won't be ashamed. Uh, that's a commercial. Is it a good one? Is that a Super Bowl quality one? Where'd I tell you to go? 
Song of Solomon. Go to chapter 2. All right, I need to go through this real quick. Bear with me. We're going deeper. Anytime we go to the Song of Solomons, it's got to be deeper. He says in verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14. Oh, my dove. Now, you got to realize, now, this is a very sensual book. There are those in the community, the Jewish community, that won't allow their children to even read it until their bar mitzvah. Because it has very strong sexual, not connotations, but descriptions. Right? And this is not about the natural relationship between a man and a woman. This is about the soul and the spirit. It is about the church and Christ. About the bride and the groom. And the intimacy is not natural, but spiritual. Are we good with that? With that said, he says, oh my dove. In the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the cliff. That word cliff, cross it out, it means steps. It means steep steps. That's why I drew this from the very beginning. He's saying there is a secret place that has steps. Right? Let me see your countenance. Let me hear your voice. What he's saying is, let me ascend these steps that I might see your face, that I might hear your voice. What did Moses do when he ascended? He saw the glory of God, though it was his hinder parts, but he heard the voice firsthand. Where? At the ascended place. What happens when you ascend? You have ears to hear and eyes to see. Are you seeing this? So he goes, let me see, let me hear, for your voice is sweet and your countenance is lovely. Let me ascend these steps. I'm going to take a shortcut here. In, in, um, In Ezekiel, I think I covered this at some point in the last several months. Ezekiel describes the temple... And in the description of the temple, he adds a description where there were side chambers. Remember the side chambers? Remember them, David? What were the side chambers? There were three levels. I don't mean to be erasing grace, but I need the room. There were three levels. And each level was wider. And there were steps... And if you want, read this in Ezekiel. Why would he even take this time? There were three levels of ascension, and every level, it seems contrary to normal architecture. Normal architecture would go in the reverse because you want a base that's wider and a, and a peak that's smaller. This was the opposite. Because what he's saying is that in the temple, in your temple, there is an ascended place that as you ascend every level, the horizon gets wider and wider. And you see on the third level what you couldn't see on the second. Are we good with this? This is called the secret place of the temple. Now go to Psalm 91. And you have read this and you have wondered why this was never materializing in your life. He who dwells in the secret place of the most. Come on now. What we did with this 
psalm and every psalm and every verse is we have applied it to my life here. And what happens? Nothing. I'm being transparent because I'm with you. And then we get frustrated why it's nothing. We think we don't have enough faith. We don't think we're going to church enough. Which if you're not here this morning and you listen to me on the audio, you're not in church enough. I just want, to put, I want a little law. Nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with a little leaven. No, no, I'm, uh, I, just, I just screwed up the whole message. He said this, when I find myself in the secret place of the Most High, this is what happens. He said, I shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I love this. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. This is somebody in the ascended place. He said, surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now I want you to understand the context of 91. It is a man. Come here, David. The psalmist is talking about a man who dwells in the, in the secret place, right? Just get the third person here. He says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, right? Yeah. And now he begins, the psalmist is describing this man in the secret place. And he goes on, he says, I will say of the Lord. He's saying this, third person. He is my refuge and he's looking at him in the third person. Right? And he goes on and he says all this beautiful stuff. He shall deliver me from, he shall deliver him from the snare of the fowler. He shall cover you with his feathers and, and you shall not be afraid by the terror of night or the, nor the arrow that flies. I mean, this is, these are promises that are amazing. He says, thousands may fall by your side and ten thousands at your right hand, but nothing shall come nigh near you. Speaking to the man. Then he gets down towards verse 13. He says, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. You are the Christ. You are the one who has ascended. You're in the secret place. You're in the elevated horizon. Your eyes can see, right? Then verse 14 changes. And he's no longer talking to the third person. He says, because he has set his love on me, God begins to speak. Yes. Are you saying it changes? The person who's narrating this changed. Yes. From the psalmist, God is like, man, that's good. Move aside. Let me finish this story. And he says, because you have set your love upon me, I will deliver you. And I will set you on high because you have known my name. Yod, hey, vav, hey. He says, he shall call upon me and I will answer them. Jeremiah 33, 3, come on. It's like a puzzle that's final, a 5,000 piece puzzle and you only got two pieces left. (laughs) I will deliver you and honor him. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy and I will show him my salvation. Yes. My goodness. Thank you, David. As you ascend, the Father's voice becomes more and more intimate. You get to the place where Jesus was when he says, I only say what my daddy says. That's joy. And that's love. All right. Last point, and, and, I, and this is more... 
explanatory than revelatory. The book of Psalms has 150 psalms in it. Beginning in Psalm 120. If you have your Bibles, just go there. We're not going to read these necessarily, but I want you to see this. Psalm, beginning in Psalm 120 for 15 psalms. From 120 to 134. These are psalms written by David. I think one is written by Solomon. In the psalm text, in the book itself, in the original text, not with the annotation of your publisher. It says, this is a song of ascent. David wrote them and his son. Psalms 120 to 134. And they're divided, interestingly, into three sections of five. What is five? I need more grace, phone. And I got it. Five is the number of grace. In John chapter 1, speaking of Christ, he says it was grace for grace, or grace upon grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. You got Psalms 120 to 124. The theme of Psalms 120 to 124 is being earthly, aspiring to being heavenly. Then you have Psalms 125 to 129, right? 25, 26, 27, 28, 29. These Psalms, if there's a theme you can pull out of it, starts to develop my confidence in God. Then you have Psalms 128 to 130. And that's where he begins to talk about being in communion. What did I say? Oh, I'm sorry. 128 to, yeah. 130. You're listening. 130 to 134. That that theme speaks of communion. Or union with God. Your assignment this week, seven days, not as a devotional, in the context of what you thought a devotional is just to do it because you're doing it. I want you to read these 15 Psalms. They're real short, by the way. Not that that should matter, but it helps. (laughs) By the way, Psalm 119, which led up to this, is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. So thank God 119 wasn't a song of ascent. God has mercy. To take them and read it and partition it however you think you need to do it. But I want us this week as a family to read the Psalms of Ascent. And to do this simple thing. Ask the simple request. Open my eyes. Don't, 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 try, don't go in there trying to figure out the left, the right, the up, and the down. 
if, if he wants you to look up and down, left, right, he'll show you. Because it is grace. These are five. These are five. These are five. It is grace upon grace upon grace. And at the point of communion, he said, do this until I erkomai am revealed. In Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me, and I will show you things you know not of. God's telephone number? Thank you, Yanni. Come, come here, come here. This woman needs to have a voice in this house. Yes, you do. There you go. Can we turn? Is there anybody back there? We turn. There we go. Thank you. Listen to the words. On a clear day, I looked around and found who I am. On a clear day, how it did astound me that the glow of my being outshined every star. I am part of every mountain, stream, and shore, and I can see the things that I've never heard before. Mm. And on a clear day, on a clear day, I can see forever and ever and ever. I want, I want you to receive that. Trust me, receive that from the Lord. Some of you need to experience the glory of God in your life, in your physical bodies, in your life, in one form or another. And I believe that he shows himself in many ways and in many areas. But I'm going to ask you to seek first the kingdom because the pain of your life is going to try to keep you here. Here's your you need to do. Keep your eye on him. He's up here. Remember the sower and the seed and the ground? All the grounds. There were a lot more grounds that were not productive than the ground that was productive. What happened to the ground that was productive? It produced. Come on now. You're going to see this over and over and over and over he's bringing you to a hundredfold and he's not talking about cars he's not talking about boats or trains or automobiles or any of that stuff that we made it he is talking about your ascension to a place where there are no serpents i'm telling you there are no serpents there's something called the snake line on mountains and it depends on the mountain but there's a certain level of oxygen that serpents need and when you get to a place where that oxygen is depleted there are no serpents and there's a place here in the ascension where every name that is named is below the singularity of the name that your eye is on it is the name of our lord come on now He says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, he will be in his refuge. And nothing, no thing can harm him. This is where you're going. This is where we're going. 
What we need to do one to another and love each other is to encourage you to stop dwelling in your pain. And I don't mean that to be indifferent or not. You understand there's love there. But I had to speak to two people this week. One was in a hospital and I was just about ready to grab his, because pity was starting to set in. And, and, and honestly, in my heart, I was starting to connect with it because I was seeing something and I felt the spirit get a hold of me. Because he said, he's dying in that. Don't go in there. And I began speaking life. Not just words. I began having thoughts and minds and the spirit because this is happening real time. Yes. yes. I hate pity. It's the pain that keeps us there. Nobody wants it. Nobody wants to be depressed. Nobody wants to take their life. Dear God, when I heard Robin Williams took his life, honest with you, I was so disturbed. Yes. Oh, he's Hollywood. He was, a, listen, he's a man who had everything beneath. Yes. yes. And he was an amazing com- comedian and he, all this stuff. And I'm like, how can he take his life? How can anyone take their life? It's because you can, you can be in such pain that the only way out is to die. I'm telling you this, the only way out is to die. But he provided a different death that leads to life. For I am, come on, you guys, we're going to keep saying, I am crucified with him. It is not I who live, but it is he who lives in me. Christ living in me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by his that leads me to his, that brings me into his, where I am now, my mind is now where I was seated. All right. We're going to continue. And continue and continue. And whatever the Lord shows us, whatever dimension, we're going to go after this stuff, right? Next week, the entire Christian world will be celebrating one event. Well, it's Easter on one day a year. We celebrate it all the time. This is all because that tomb is empty. There's my play. There's your show. James, I was telling him, you were in here before you took it. I said, we have more equipment in these two closets to put on a light show, probably a smoke show, probably we got the best equipment that you could have had in a nightclub. At least how many years ago was that? Five years. There's, there's, there's so much stuff here. I think it's ironic. It says, leave all that stuff in the closet. Just share the good news. If that don't get them excited, lights ought to not to get them excited. All right. Stand with me. That was my soapbox commentary. We will celebrate resurrection. And I don't know a better way but to keep unpacking this present and enjoying Christmas morning every morning. Father, I thank you. And I thank you, Father, that what we're seeing is going to bring deliverance and healing to the lives of people just by virtue of the word that will not return void. I thank you, Lord, as we read the Psalms of Ascent this week, that what we're reading are not words, not ink on paper, but we're reading, Father, to have our eyes open to see what is happening within us. Thank you, Lord. That we are born from above. Yes. So therefore, we are moving to higher and higher and higher places. Hallelujah. And so, Lord, I ask you to guide and to lead all of us as we take this journey in this next week. And Father, I just came upon me that, yeah, we do celebrate and we are with our brothers and sisters throughout this planet, we are celebrating and recognizing the resurrection of our Lord. But that 
profoundly has caught our heart and our attention. It has. It's not a day that goes by that I don't think about it. But Father, that opened up the way and the path to the higher realms of life. Ah, Peter even said it. Don't you know you are of a divine nature? God in you. God one with you. You one with him. Your eyes are going to be open this week. Be quiet. Read and listen to the stillness. The stillness will speak louder than the loudest sound you've ever heard in your life. Let that speak to you. And that is the preceding word that brings life. Amen? I believe we're going to start to see healings, not because we're going after those things, but by virtue of this path, they must be submitted to the higher realm, which is in you. Amen? If you don't understand it, just receive it. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Seven o'clock Friday. Seven o'clock Friday. Communion here.